Okay. All right, so let's start. Um, hi, everyone, good afternoon. This is our first podcast, so bear with us. Our first like web series, I guess. I don't know what we want to call it, but um, I am Tiffany. I'm one of your co-hosts, uh, and I am a scientist by training, um, a professor, an all-around Black girl from the Bronx, um, and I'm excited to join you today with my friend and colleague, Thais. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I am a social worker by training. Um, have been working with youth in community-based settings for the past 20 plus years. I'm also a professor um, and I am an all-around black girl I'm from outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania um, and have res resided in New York City for the past um, 20 um, plus years in the borough of Brooklyn. Yes, Brooklyn. Um, so we got the double B's in the house, right? Brooklyn and Bronx. Um, you know, this podcast is um, something that we wanted to start. I think just to start to take a lot of our text exchanges and bring it to light into public because, um, you know, they definitely served as, as a space of healing for us and for uh, me. I can speak for myself. I know how you should speak for yourself. Um, and it's titled, Sis, Go Back to Bed. Uh, Thais came up with the name. Actually, she said the slogan. I was like, that's the name of the podcast. Let's go back to bed. I'm going back to bed. Where did you come up with that from, Thais? <laughs> well, during the um, pandemic, I found myself like, you know, being, you know, totally um, available to my staff. Uh, and it was just so convenient since I'm already here and I'm, you know, usually up really late, you know, doing um, work anyway, you know, let me just go back and lay down for a minute and I can work from my phone. I'm very productive, you know, so um, us being Black women, we are often tasked with being um, multifaceted and being able to multitask. So I can go back to bed and still be on my phone advising my staff, um, writing up reports, what have you, um, especially since during the era of COVID, we're in, you know, you know, quarantined and can't go anywhere anyway. So why don't I just rest while I'm trying to be productive or just rest without being productive? So sis, go back to bed. And sometimes that's the respite that um, I found over the course of the past um, couple of years in order to withstand this ordeal. Um, and so going back to bed is something that I think we as Black women don't necessarily have um, the opportunity to do often. I would say luxury, but it shouldn't be a luxury for us to rest. I mean, yeah, I, I thank you for that, Taisa. I think that's important, right? I think we're like, oh, rest is a luxury. I'm like, for who? Like, like why does it got to be a luxury? For, like, no one else talks about rest being a luxury for them, right? And when I hear the commentary about rest and Black women, it's like, oh, you know, when people talk about luxury, I'm like, that is not luxury. You know what luxury is? Like, the four seasons. Like, that's luxury, right? Like, right. rest, something that, like, we should be able to engage in should not be a luxury. And we should not ask permission from it, for it, and it should not be regulated, right? It should be something that we have access to. And I think that this podcast um, is definitely going to focus a lot on what rest looks like, um, what healing looks like, I guess, like what activism and critical reflection looks like, um, unpacking like culture. Um, but like this is, you know, this podcast is about Black women, for Black women, and if you're not a Black woman and you just want to listen, that's okay too, but don't steal our stuff, right? Like, it's okay to come here and bear witness because um, there are some gems and jewels. So let's get into it. The first thing I wanted to talk about, I'm looking at my notes here, right, is um, I think for me, um, the most impactful thing that I've uncovered in the last, like, year, so not, I mean, the year just started for 2022, but in 2021, was when I really started to understand what it meant structurally to be a Black woman. Um, and as I'm completing my dissertation, right, uh, Thais and I are both writing a dissertation. Um, mine's focused on Black women. Thais's is focused on Black girls. Um, I've really been looking at the history and the systems and the policies. And um, in conversation with Thais, what came to mind one day, what she said to me landed was that like, we're not meant to survive. Like, like black women are not meant to survive. Um, so we don't gotta give up much <laughs> like, because the ones who are living and breathing um, and not to 
that's any black woman. I don't care if you are the, a top CEO. I don't care if you're a scientist, a PhD. I don't care if you just living at home in Brooklyn and the Bronx and taking care of your kids and quote unquote, not engaging in, 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 in the corporate or um, outside labor market. If you are breathing and you're a black woman, bitch, you doing a good job. Because <laughs> we are not supposed to be living. <laughs> and right. Right, it's meant to annihilate us. Um, so I definitely wanted to like talk to you a little bit more, Thais, about like the impact of like whiteness and coloniality and, and the structures and the ways in which like anti-black is blackness shows up particularly for like black women and the impact of that on our lives. Yeah, thank you for that. Sorry, it's like a trash um, um, thing outside making a lot of noise. My apologies. Um, but yeah, the, the way that the systems are set up um, are to, in my mind, to maintain maintain this hierarchy of power people who are in control and the people who have less control and the people who are in control and who have privilege their direct privilege um be it you know whiteness be it being cisgendered etc um or certain class or education status is relative to other people and so within um an american society in particular the way that capitalism is set up is to maintain this differentiation of power and so this differentiation of power is based upon um, the spaces with which we can engage. And all too often, Black women are engaging in spaces where they're doing a lot of more labor than other folks. We're striving for excellence because we're told, either implicitly or explicitly, um, at an early age, um, that you have to be twice as good in order to get half as much. You know, and so rather doing like twice and thrice the work of everyone else in order to be seen and acknowledged and to get the bare minimum when these people can other folks white folks in particular um, can, you know, engage in this level of mediocrity um, and get more than us. Um, and so we've internalized that and there's generations of this, um, you know, false narrative that we, you know, claim uh, in, in an effort to be, you know, excellent. And that's not necessarily happening across the board, but there's a price, a high price for striving for excellence as a black woman in whatever spaces we're in. Like Tiffany mentioned, whether it's in the corporate setting, whether it's in the academic setting, whether it's you know um, working in retail, whether it's taking care of your children at home, there's a disproportionate amount of labor that's imposed upon us that you know reinforces this you know system and this caste structure where we are inevitably always at the bottom. So again, I can walk into a I can walk into a, a department store. People don't know my um, education. They don't necessarily know you know my class status. They can infer certain things, but certainly I could be you know surveilled um, and be certain you know perceived um, in stereotypical ways just by virtue of how I show up. Um, and those are things that again um, serve you know the machine of capitalism um, in the sense that I am perceived as less free in those spaces and less able to navigate in a liberatory way or, or to be able to engage in doing what I wanna do in these spaces based upon someone else being able to do whatever they want to do. So white folks know that when they go into a store, they're not necessarily gonna be followed. If they can accidentally put, you know, a shirt in their in their bag and be like, oh, it was a mistake. I didn't mean to, you know. So again, these may be extremes, but there is a um, profound uh, consequence with how we as black women um, are um, engaged and expected to perform um, publicly, um, socially, and, and professionally. So I know it's a lot, but you know I think that's a, a, a fair space within which I think this podcast in particular um, will have um, its its value um, in as we've spoken, uh, Tiffany, um, being able to speak in multiple registers um, to everyday folks and and to those people who you know may you know, not be as engaged, who forget that they may have come from everyday folks. Because that's, that's another thing that I think some of us can do when we get access to certain opportunities and spaces, we forget our ancestors and who we came from. Mm. Um, and I was, I'm, I, I'm, I told my family, don't get big feeling, don't get, get it twisted. I know where you're from. <laughs> and I know where I'm from, okay? Right. Right. Like I some people, I'm like, um, no, like, I, I love how you said that. Like when you walk into a space, no one knows that, you know, I mean, soon to be doctor, nobody know. like nobody knows that. And this is why I always say like, none of those accolades, titles, none of those things will save us. <laughs> like not going to save us, right? The moment that I decide to call the cops um, to help me, like they're trying to determine if I am the victim or the person committing the crime. 
Right. There's no doctor. There's no social worker. There's no scientist. There's none of that that says, you know, literally. And, and, you know, I've even, as I was listening to you, I think about the ways in which I spent my life trying to assimilate, I would say, to whiteness or be polyable to whiteness, you know, like not be too much, like not be too much. And I think about like just because you're talking about that cost, right? So it's like knowing how to navigate two different worlds. Um, I remember me really trying to navigate two worlds. So me trying to navigate the world of um, like whiteness and politically being politically correct. And then me trying to navigate the world of like being a black girl from like the Bronx and like how to show up. I think, you know, it's been five years now. I'm just like, I'm me like, so if I decide to say like the B word in this room, it is what it is. And like, I'm not, you know, I remember the first time I went to teach my, um, my first class at Columbia, I literally was debating on my hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, can I wear my lemonade braids? Like, will they try me? <laughs> right? Like, like, cause you know, they long and it was, I was going to put the colors in it too. So it's like swirling around. And like, I spent days thinking about that day. Like and other, prof- other professors weren't thinking about that. They're like, oh, no. they have that kind of um, a capacity to engage in a double consciousness because they don't have to. A- and we're constantly having to negotiate, you know, what I'm, how am I going to show up? And, and in what ways is that going to, am I going to be interpreted in these spaces? Am I going to be less regarded, less respected? Am I going to be less heard or less legitimated just by virtue of us engaging in a protective hairstyle? You know, I mean, it's like putting lotion on. Like, it, <laughs> like if I'm wearing a regular cocoa butter Victoria's Secret, right? Like, right. right. No, you're absolutely like, I'm literally thinking how like my white counterparts um, or I would say like the nine black woman, like that's not the same, even down to like, what can I wear? Like, are these pants too? Like, it's the hyper awareness that would have me stuck in my head for days. And I think like, as I was talking to you, I think about, you said there's a cost to that. And I'm like, yeah, like, Losing my goddamn mind. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I was going to ask you about like kind of like fleshing that out, that whole piece about my white colleagues versus my non-black colleagues, because you and I have talked about this. Um, and for the listeners, um, uh, Tiffany and I discuss things on a regular basis. Um, you know, just thought, as a thought partner, I'm talking about different things that are going on in 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 the world, and it does help us. I know it helps me. I can say, um, in considering different um, points of view. Um, and in trying to interrogate, you know, the things that I've been taught and have learned either from formal academic settings or even informal settings um, and how I can, you know, kind of reject those things or disrupt this, you know, dominant narrative about this is the way things are. Um, because I think that we certainly are socialized to think or use interchangeably um, whiteness and non-blackness. So can you like go back to that and talk a little bit more about the differentiation that you've um, come to when it with, with regard to those concepts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, it's so funny. Um, last week I was in a meeting and they kept saying, you know, they hired like woman of color, they hired the woman of color. Like, and like they were emphasizing in the meeting that this woman of color was hired. And like, it was said so many times that I stopped and I've, and I've learned to do this in a way um, that is true to me, but also I know how I can come off and so I've learned how to ask questions, like the same way I ask in a classroom, even though I'm among peers, right? So I'm like, woman of color, I'm like, what do y'all mean by that? Like, what color is she? Oh, you mean she not white? Cause like right there, it's like, we won't say that, right? Like in my head, I'm like, is she Asian? Is she Latina? Is she Native American? Is she black, black? Like that. Like, so in my head, so you done lumped us all together, like y'all people, and we gonna give y'all a name, right? Um, non-white, people of color, what else gets on my goddamn nerves? Minority. And I'm like, it, it does, it's, it's, for me, it's, um, it protects whiteness mm-hmm. and it makes me feel icky. So mm-hmm. I've been really, I've been really specific in the ways in which I show up in places where I'll say, oh, the white woman, right? Like I'm, or uh, you be a non-white person because what y'all not going to do is do this shit where we become the subject who that's actually oppressed 
and it's on us. No, let's mm-hmm. say that for the first first goddamn time, we didn't hire a white woman in this in this role, and it's been damn near 115 years. Let's say that, and let's sit with that instead of trying to protect whiteness. So I think our job is to not protect whiteness and to begin to expose it and begin to say, oh, you mean a non-white person? Okay, Um, because I think that we're trained to do the opposite. We're trained to amplify, highlight Mm -hmm. the fact, the people of color, black, brown, whatever, you know, and lump us all together. Right, yeah, and thank you for that clarity because I think that it's people totally get like lost in who suffers most from racial subjugation and um, woe is the black folks, woe is the you know Latinos, um, Asians, et cetera, and that could all be argued, but they don't discuss how white people benefit from whiteness mm. and the construct of whiteness. Mm. That's something that people totally don't want to necessarily talk about. You can bring up privilege, mm. but we're not talking about how at, at, if I have equal um, you know um, credentials as a white woman the same age, um, and I have a you know um, Afrocentric type of name. And they really are going to engage who's the best, you know, I guess, uh, you know, candidate. They may be more inclined to go with her by virtue of her whiteness and her palatability and how familiar they might be with her not wearing braids or not, you know, calling them out on their shit when they're doing some foul stuff at work, you know. And so I think it's important for us to talk about how white folks benefit from whiteness and also how they inevitably, and again, we can make blanket statements, um, but certainly this is the vast majority in my lived experience of um, white folks who uh, protect whiteness by maintaining the status quo. Like we can't do that because, you know, they're gatekeepers, but they're not gatekeepers of policies and procedures. They're gatekeepers of whiteness. Mm. Um, We, you know, tend to, couch that protections of whiteness in language around capitalism, you know, uh, equality, et cetera. But really the main thing that's being protected in these systems and spaces is whiteness. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of also about this whole idea of um, the conflation of women of color or non-white people making it seem as though all people of color, if you will, have the same experience. And I think that the, these terms really erase the black experience, in particular, black women's experience um, historically and the extent to which the legacy of slavery shows up and persists in policies and practices across this nation. And one could argue certainly globally. Mm. No, I, the protection of whiteness is what I was hearing or resonated a lot with me because I think in some aspects, a lot of us are trained to protect whiteness um a lot of us are trained to think about like we we've even resorted to saying let's not call people out i'm like what how amy is problematic as ever we're not supposed to say this shit is like so we're supposed to continue to be harmed by whiteness and not call it i mean it's, it's exactly what's happening right now in florida with critical race theory we don't want the white people to feel guilty and it's outside of the white people is protecting the idea of whiteness and saying, we don't want to disrupt this. We don't want it because here's the thing about it. And this is what I, this is what I learned as I was talking to you is that like, when you know something, when we get clear about something, a few things have to happen. One, you got to do something different, right? right? Like you, like we are unpacking whiteness. We are, you know, we, I mean, and they're calling it critical race theory. And I'm like, cause critical race theory is based on the structures and systems that uphold like white supremacy and anti-blackness, right? So the power of understanding that allows us to not look at it interpersonally and to say, even if we arrest the cops who killed George Floyd, we still got this standing here. And you see that, and and when you don't wanna learn that, it says that we want to victimize individuals and not look at the systems and the structures because that's how we change things. It's not, we got rid of, you know, the cop that killed Breonna Taylor. We, no, 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 no. Like we did that and we changed the policies and the systems and the structures. And that's why they don't want to learn that shit in Florida. Cause when you start to do that, you either have to do a few things. One, you got to change some things, right? Mm-hmm. You got to critically reflect about what does this mean about me, mm-hmm. right? Two, you either know it and we all know you know it and you ain't gonna change a damn thing. And so now <laughs> you gotta walk around here, right? Looking, cause we all looking at you and you don't wanna be uncomfortable. You know, like, so at this point in the moment, the result is let's not talk about it at all because then right. 
no one got to do nothing, right? Or am I right. like, no, yeah, you got it. And I, and I see, I've seen, and I've told you this with my supervisor. I've been my, I've seen my supervisor, a white woman for over 20 years. And I've said this to her. So if she hears this podcast, hey, we've had this conversation um, about how when I would challenge her about some of the practices that weren't just interpersonal or individual encounters, but that were patterns across the situations within our division, um, she would say to me, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. First of all, that's like, a, I mean, in the traditional rules of grammar, which are American or English grammar are arbitrary to be fair. Um, but I was like, that sounds like a double negative to me. You never said, I don't disagree with you. Why, why are you using that? You either say, I agree with you, what you're saying when it comes to critiques of racial um, interactions in this, in this space, um, or I disagree with you. So either I agree or I disagree, but I don't disagree. It seems very odd and very passive. What is that? And she said, because if I said to you, I agree, then I'd have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So she was very explicit in saying to me, I said, I don't disagree with you because that kind of lets me off the hook, off the mm -hmm. fucking hook, you know? I said, well, well this I said, she said that. Wait, wait. <laughs> wait, what do you say? say? I said, oh, snap. Thanks for being really, really clear. I'll use that too. When I don't want to make a change, I'll say to you, you know what? I don't disagree with you. And I do that now. And she'll be like, they kind of like, what? You know, that sort of thing. But it was very um, transparent because I had the gumption or capacity to address her directly by saying, you know, why are you talking that way? Whereas often we would be in the, I'm talking about um, a lot of black women in certain settings um, in order to, um, I guess in a way not rock the boat, we just let it slide and not have it be, a, have, hold her accountable in any way, shape or form. But even with me saying to her, you, you, you're you saying this and you've, I've never heard you say this before when we're talking about racial matters, she still uses it. I don't disagree with you. So again, that's a marker for me that you don't wanna be held accountable in changing these, this problem. And just as long as I can be able to articulate that to you and your capacity as a white woman, which I think, uh, Tiffany, you sent me an article about how white women in corporations maintain the status quo through this passive, you know, type of um, um, adherence to corporate values or neoliberal um, projects. Uh, I don't remember that, but it was really insightful. Um, and so is uh, t um, something we spoke about not too long ago in another call, Tima Okun's um, piece about, you know, white supremacist culture within um, organizations and the extent to which, you know, adherence to the written word is something that we, you know, and efficiency are, are, are proxies for, you know, maintaining whiteness. No, I'm like listening to you and I'm literally thinking about that article. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, I always tell people like my issue is oftentimes with, my biggest issue is oftentimes with white women. Um, first of all, like shout out to your boss for being honest. Cause like, thank you. Like, cause sometimes we think we look, cause sometimes, you know, you know, we're going to unpack this another episode, the psychosis of it. We think we crazy. Like you got me out of my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, thank you for saying that, you know what? Cause basically what you're telling me is that A, I'm not crazy. B, you don't plan to change it to C. My experience that I've been experiencing is real. So like, thank you for that. I mean, you still ain't right for it, but like, thank you. Cause now mm -hmm. I ain't got to sit in my office and be like, you know, but to your point, yeah, white women particularly, and I always say this, I'm like, you know, I really believe when white women start to understand their attachment to whiteness and patriarchy, and they start to see us in the true sisterhood or whatever they want to call it, um, that we can shift the paradigm. But I think that white women oftentimes, like when I'm working with them, and I work with a lot of white women, um, they want what white men have. Right. They legit want to be at that table with them right and I'm like and I could just like they don't have to say it right they're like I like and, and, and I've started to process this a lot more because I realized because our cities are so segregated and our and our um, country is so segregated there's not a lot of diversity and integration right you only get that when you go to college like it's really enforced in college right and even then there's a predominant predominantly white presence but to your point if the person who has the most amount of power, if you're, if you're, if you experience having the least amount of power in a white space, so for white women, and the person who has the most amount of power and who is able to change things or make decisions are white men, of course you want to aspire to have that, right? So you see them as part of the problem. 
Now it gets a little crazy when they then come up against like black women or even, you know, girl, I've been single with white women and black men. That should get real interesting when they get their power dynamics going because white women see the patriarchy, black men see the a whiteness. And then the whole thing is just a mess. And I just sit back and watch because I know that the whiteness has more power, right? Like the whiteness is attached to that goddamn patriarchy. Right. right. Black men don't have the attachment to whiteness. Okay. So the patriarchy is strong, but it ain't strong without that whiteness. Right. White women then become the white men to us. And I've always said to them, and then they view us, particularly black women, as a threat. Like you're mm-hmm. gonna take what I have. Mm-hmm. Right. And we are saying to you, sis, we don't even want to sit at that table with those motherfuckers over there. Like we don't want nothing to do with that table. Like right. we're not trying to get there. We don't want it to exist. We actually just want to dismantle the whole entire table we want to abolish it and say that power cannot exist because then that means that someone else is going to be exploited and oppressed white women don't get that they still fighting for the power at the table girl right and and i and i hear what you're saying loud and clear and then there are people who are um not pawns but there are people who are non-white and non-women non-white women who will protect the white woman you know how many spaces I've been in calling out supervision in front of other people and my my counterparts would be like, well, no, 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 don't don't tell her. She's not, she, it's not all her fault. It's not just, we all need to be a, a part of, you know, this synergy and we all need to f- work together to hold each other accountable. I don't sign this person's timesheet. She does. So why isn't it that she has, doesn't have the gumption to put her foot down and say, yo, we're not doing this over here. It's not okay for you to, you know, uh, talk about who you voted for and, and talk about and have like Trump a Trump flag in your cubicle at work. Mm. Like, I mean, that's not okay, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so I think that some of us who um, seek proximal power to white women in these organizations can be complicit in trying to, you know, absolve them or, uh, you know, um, uh, engage in a, a move, move toward innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I didn't intend to do that, or, you know, that wasn't, you know, my intention to um, disenfranchise or to subjugate someone from certain decision making in certain spaces, but your impact is what's really important. Mm. So this whole idea that I think often comes up in these accountability spaces um, about intent versus impact is an ongoing challenge because people talk about in- intent. Well, I didn't mean to, and it's a very, very um, uh, pernicious, very like um, I would say evil to even some degree form of racial gaslighting like saying oh what do you mean I didn't mean that oh I I didn't mean that you read it the wrong way and so so they get caught up in intent over impact and we all know that the road to hell is paved with good intentions and that white folks white women and men can do a lot better when it comes to focusing more on impact versus intent Girl, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about, I was saying the other day, in 2022, I don't want to hear nothing about attention. Like, I don't want to hear what your attention was, you know, even when the, you know, even when the apologies happened, but I didn't intend to. So I'm dead and that wasn't your attention. And it, like, it, like it, to me, it makes no type of sense. And it also, like, you're speaking about non-white, non-Black people, like the folks that are quote unquote trapped in the middle. Because here's the thing, I always say, like, y'all choose. Like you choose, like you choose who you want to relate to. I have people who are, who I would not have thought was black until they aligned their self with blackness and like showed up in meetings, particularly, um, uh, 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 I'm thinking about a, a Latina um, colleague of mine. Um, she's a, really a mentor. Uh, and she was being, she's in all of like, you know, the black, uh, the black spaces with us meeting. And like, I know she, you know, Dominican. But when she shows up in the space, she's not taking control. She's listening, but she's like, you know, what do I need to do and stuff? But I think it was important for her to say, I'm going to align with, like, when we have our, when we're in the predominant white space, she specifically comes to our section and, like, aligns here, right? She don't even go to, like, the non-white, like, non-white, non-black. She's like, I'm over here. Or people of color, she go, right, you know? And then I've seen some folks who are, like, you know, from different parts of the world who can be brown and who will not align themselves with blackness. And I say, and we're gonna engage with you like that, right? Like, like, cause one thing is for sure, um, the beauty of black womanhood is the sister and hood in community. 
Like that is one thing that I value all the time that I think that white women lack. It's very based in the whiteness of individuality, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm talking about like, they can't call each other, but like, girl, let me tell you what's like, it's so like, it, it, I can't explain it. And I realized it's because they've inherited white supremacy. So in their eyes, it's me, I'm going to do me, I'm going to get ahead and I'm going to be cordial. With us, we, because we've had to suffer underneath the coloniality, the whiteness, the patriarchy, we had to come in community and say, girl, I'm dying, like, help me, right? Like, or, you know, like, I'm about to lose my mind, right? We have community and sisterhood. And I think that's what helps us rest. That's what helps us heal. And that's what helps us, like, continue to survive the spaces that we're not meant to survive. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I think about this, like what you were just saying about this whole idea of solidarity and what does that really, how does that really show up? Um, and I think being aligned in certain spaces um, across, um, I guess, racial groups, especially minoritized or racialized groups is important. Um, and at the same time, I wonder what, what materially does it yield, you know, for a Latina who may be, again, present racially in any type of way, to be aligned with blackness and is that enough and we've talked about this as well is to engage in this project of solidarity is one thing but to engage in a project of coalition is something totally different you know i think they're aligned but when we talk about you know i'm thinking of, of allyship versus being in a co-conspirator or, or an accomplice and the extent to which that same person might align themselves um uh, theoretically um, and intellectually within these spaces and maybe even advocate for Black folks, um, but materially not really, you know, um, sacrificing anything or weaponizing whatever privilege that they might have. And so that's why I, I get kind of curious about this whole idea of solidarity versus coalition um, in, in multiracial spaces. Um, and I'm not sure if it's possible. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily know if I have an example a current example where it's actually happening, but maybe that's something that we can talk to, to talk about in future um, uh, conversations. Solidarity yeah, I think you're asking a good question because, well, because I don't think one person can do it alone, right? You'd have to have, um, in this case, this person's Dominican. They have to, you'd have to, like, I always say the, the first racist people I've ever interacted with were Dominicans in my community, right? Like, because like, we are all on a spectrum to whiteness like we are all and some of us are striving to be higher up connected to whiteness right like like some of us are like I hope they don't know that <laughs> you know like right or like you know I'm Afro-Latina and I think you're not ever talking about this I'm like what does that mean like right. does that mean that you're black because your ethnicity I get it but like like sis, is you black or not like like anything but black like, because African, as a person who's traveled, this is why I tell people you have to get out of this country if you have the means and the resources. You need to go see the world because the ways in which I see Blackness have trans, like, transformed. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, working in Brazil, working in parts of Africa, working in parts of just South America. Like, it's different. Working in Haiti. These are people who don't speak English. Like, so in me, my eyes, I was thinking, you know, Black is African-American until I started to get more into my 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 readings and my it's a it's a so it's a social construct right it's phenotype it's skin color I'm like okay cool and then you have African-American but when I think about like Afro-Latina or like Afro someone said they were Afro-Asian the other day I was like well what is this like okay I got it like I want people to have their stuff but I also want to say is you black or not right are you trying to differentiate yourself from, because see, that's the anti-blackness. Are you trying to differentiate yourself from me? So you got to come up with a new terminology because you don't think that you're those people. I just want to know. Of course, of course. So it's another, it's another way to simultaneously hold an anti-blackness while trying to be pro-black. How do you right. do that? Like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? So you're going to be Afro-blank because you have a certain skin hue and a certain hair texture. And also I think it's kind of in and kind of, you know, hot to be exotic. And, you know, I can say I'm part, you know, this sort of thing. Afro-Asian. Right. But depending upon the setting, you can deny that, even though your, you know, um, your uh, your grandmother could look like um, Florida on Good Times. <laughs> not Florida, <laughs> and you're not black. So it's just like you know this whole denial, and it is very in, insidious and very much um, 
a level, like you said, of trying to distance themselves from blackness. And when we talk about blackness, we're talking about that is code for people who aren't necessarily from the United States for African American. And we're socialized to be bottom at the bottom of the barrel, despite you know fighting for civil rights and you know the whole notion of you know um, the footnote footnote on the um, Civil Rights Act where um, you know um, immigrants were given rights. Um, by virtue of the civil rights um, endeavors. So you're somehow or another demonizing the very folks from which you benefit um, mm. being able to have access to even, you know, engaging in any type of a part of this country. So it's complex and I think it's very much problematic, but I think it's important for us to be able to um, flesh these things out because they're not being fleshed out in our academic work explicitly. We have to find these things, even at a, at a doctoral level. Um, it's not like we're being taught this. And not at least in our program, um, explicitly, um, you may have to take some, you know, electives where you can find it. But for the most part, there is this, you know, reinscription or this reinforcement of um, a white hegemonic or white dominant, excuse me, um, mythology of the United States um, that we really need to be able to question um, because it also upholds um, this. Um, social caste hierarchy, you know, the, 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 the lack of um, history that is a part of these conversations that we necessarily, we definitely have to, you know, um, acknowledge in order to move forward. And a lot of the folks who are in some of these places who are denying their blackness have drank the, um, the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. And they're all about, you know, this am amnesia of forgetting what actually happened because they want to align themselves with the victor's history or with mm -hmm. the dominant history that reinforces, you know, white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy, among other things. Yeah, I'm listening to you because I'm thinking about how that's taught from our, like, inception, how that, like, and then is perpetuated throughout our school systems. Like, and I'm even thinking about, it goes as deep as, like, I'm thinking about growing up, I was looking at old pictures of myself, like, the ways in which I, I would I long weave 20 inches straight hair, like, would never, would never wear my hair, what, braids was something that I, like, I don't even know me wearing braids, like, legit, but also thinking about wearing my natural hair, girl, I used to be like, no, I need to get my perm, like, what was I doing, so I, I'm like, oh, like, this was ingrained in me since I was, like, a child, right, like, even my grandmother, like, you need to do something with your head, like, when I was getting my, <laughs> grow my natural hair out, like, mm -hmm. and I'll just wear it, like, in an afro, she like, you need, to do, you need to do your hair, like, you need to, I'm like, grandma, like, it is, like, it's done, like, you know, and so even getting home, boy, but, like, this is it, this is the hair that grew out my head, and I'm wearing it this way, now I would never be caught dead with any, like, I straighten my hair four times a year, and that's to get a trim, and I'm taking a photo somewhere, like, my, I, I mean, I have to take headshots coming up, and I'm like, I don't want to do it in straight hair, like, like, I just never want somebody to think that that's how I'm coming to their job, I never want no man to think that's how I'm gonna look every single day. Like, like this is it. It's, it's always gonna be in these braids. It might be a little kinky curly, you know, like, but that little you part wig I'm about to put on, you only gonna get that two, three times a year, right? So like, I don't go to job interviews. Like I'm trying to disrupt all the whiteness. You will not see me in a job interview with any type of straight hair. Like I'm, it's not happening. I don't use the high, like Ivy League vernacular, I keep it very simple. Even when I teach, I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I want you to think that like, A, like, and I don't know if it's like play dumb. It's like, no, no, I can be smart and not use that terminology just to make me sound smart. I know people who speak very like high level. I'm like, what? what? First of all, we work in like social welfare work, social work. Like, like I'm not here, I'm working for the people. Like they have to be able to understand me and you have to be able to know how to translate what you're saying so that um, an everyday person can understand. Like that's who I work for. I, like I don't work for Dr. So-and-so. Like, you know, I'm trying to get the work done for the people. And so I think about whiteness and when I think about it, I think about particularly people, how we try to fit it on in every way that we can, even like where I chose to go to school. And I tell my students this, I'm like, we all are buying into it in some way to learn mm -hmm. how to either A, disrupt it, right? B, get ahead, right? Like where we choose to go to school. I'm like, okay, you know, my mom's like, you need to go to this Ivy League because I'm like, whatever. Like, I mean, partly she was right, right? Like, it, you know, people will look at my resume 
And I've seen this happen and just think I know what the hell I'm doing. And I, you know, I, I'm clear with telling my students, I teach at Hunter too. <laughs> like, like you get in the same education, Columbia, you get in the same education the Hunter students are getting. Yeah. Yeah. So like quarter, like, and they're only paying like one fourth of the price. So who the real like, like, you know what I mean? Like you get in the same scholarship. Right. So what are we buying into? Like right. Right. And like you said, we are all, we are all buying into. I remember I was at this, I had um, years ago, I had a, a group of young girls, um, predominantly um, black girls of different ethnic, ethnic groups and um, uh, predominantly African-American. And we went to this um, etiquette class um, that was being extended to us for free, you know, and it was like a business type of etiquette class where you would learn how to, to, to engage in um, appropriate small talk, um, you know, sell, sell yourself um, and be able to eat with someone and then also to, like, you know, um, present yourself in a certain way. I was conflicted at, ver- at first, but the girls really enjoyed being able to dress up and learn from older women about how to, um, you know, present yourself in a professional setting. And there was a man who was the son of a, a premier, I guess, etiquette, black etiquette um, um, uh, company in Harlem. And he was like at answering questions. And one of the girls raised her hands. And they, these were college students. They weren't my um, kids who were like high school students. Um, and she said to the guy, he was like, um, she was like, I really just grew up my hair and I'm really proud. I'm really, you know, accepting my curl pattern. And I really want to like um, go into uh, professional settings with my natural hair. Um, what do you think? You know, um, should I go ahead and do this, or should I like get a wig and relax my hair? And he said he was very honest. He said, "I understand and I respect your um, interest in being proud of yourself and you know engaging in um, wearing your hair um, naturally, but there's a cost for that." He said there will be a cost for that in corporate settings, and you have to be able to decide whether or not you're willing to pay that cost. Um, and so, I mean, even at, at my age in my career, I've seen some really cute hairstyles recently that are relaxed. And I'm like, would I do that? And my hair has been natural for 20, like seven years. And so I was like, would I blow my hair out? Would I do that? But I, I know I've done it before, but I feel naked when I have my hair straight. Like, I feel like I'm betraying something about me. Um, and I remember one time my hair was blown out and I was getting all this attention on the street, walking with my hair, like flowing and everything like that. And I went home and I wet my hair because I could not, I felt like, like I was betraying myself, um, by virtue of wearing that. Um, but that's just me. And I do think that there are people who will decide to wear their hair straight, um, or wear a wig and they may be very conscious about who they are, you know, um, ethnically. It's just not for me. You know what I mean? Um, at this point in my life, it's just not something that I'm willing to compromise in order to get ahead um, in a certain set in a certain setting. Um, but I do understand that pull in order to be competitive and also to be aligned um, and to assimilate, you know, to a dominant culture in a corporate setting. Um, and, and I have encouraged, and I really am proud of a, the young ladies that I know who are like in their um, 30s who absolutely refuse to you know do anything you know to make their themselves more palatable to um anyone in a, in a corporate setting so that they can get ahead it's just not worth the um compromise so yeah i'm i'm, I'm listening and laughing like i I'm, i can see you walking down the street with your hair like like no i'm i, I had a similar story one time i wore my hair like the same block i walked down with these braids so you know the men say something they oh Minimal. When I wear my hair like wet and kinky curly, like nothing. I had the nerve to have this little U part wig going with my hair straight. The amount of it, like, homeboy, I walk by here like every single day. You ain't nothing. Like, it just heightened. And I'm like, you know, and these are black men, you know. And I'm just like, this shit is real interesting, right? Like, like when it's in these braids, little. Mm-mm-mm. But when that, when it was straight, like the amount, I was just like, this is, this is. It made me, it did, like you said, made me feel like yucky. I was just like, because mm. first of all, I know this is a facade that it's never going to be like, <laughs> like, like you about to get this for like a good 10 minutes. You know, as soon as it sweat out, that's it. Right. <laughs> that's right. I'm not straightening again. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, but even those little things like our hair, I guess as we begin to wrap up, what, what are you reading or listening to? Because I always want to talk about like what we're reading and listening to. Like, what are you reading and listening to nowadays? 
so I'm excited about um you know Girl Trek the um uh podcast where you walk um with black women it's millions a million black women across um the world who walk at least 30 30 minutes a day um that's coming back in February so I'm really looking forward to that and it really just um was helpful for me over the course of COVID um to engage in like just the celebration of blackness and, and black womenhood um talking about you know um trailblazers um faith leaders um afrofuturists they had a whole such section on that um and it's really great because it's in communion you're listening to two friends who you know are speaking about their lived experiences um and really just breathing life into each other um and they're like not they're a little bit younger than me so like, there's a generational thing that i really appreciate about girl trek um and it really is something that i looked forward to um in, in community with other black women across um, the world um, who are engaged in trying to improve their health. Um, I also am a, really a big fan of Zora, Zora's Daughters, which is another um, pod, podcast that's um, uh, facilitated by two Black um, doctoral students of anthropology. Um, and they really are doing a great job of, you know, I guess distilling um, academic and also pop culture, um, you know, for listeners. And so they're, they're very forthright, very, um, and very much informed. Um, you know, those are two things that I am, am listening to as far as what I'm reading right now. I have tons of books that I've started that I haven't finished. Um, uh, but I guess most recently what I've been um, reading is um, Emergent Strategy, which um, talks about, um, you know, futurism and what it might look like for us to be liberated um, as, um, as people and to what degree do we um, look at patterns um, in the world um, in order to engage in some level of disruption. So right now it's very, um, I guess, abstract. Um, it's, um, um, it came out in 2017 and the author's name is, uh, I think Audra Brown. Um, I can share it, I guess, um, during the next podcast, but it's really interesting about how she's discussing um, futurity and the extent to which we look at um, uh, ecological change um, when it comes to nature, but also ecological change when it comes to social interactions. Mm. Um, so I appreciate um, the beginning of that. Um, and I think that's it for now um, that I'm reading. Again, I, I'm trying to um, work on, you know, this final paper that is really important. So, um, trying to focus on that part of my, 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 um, my, my research. And I also like look at, watch like silly things or things that aren't as, um, uh, I guess academic, like this is us on, um, TV and, um, grown-ish is ending, insecure, those sorts of things I think are really helpful in, you know, not just being, um, engaged with academic projects, but also, you know, popular and, um, and, and, you know, social media things. How about you? What are you reading or listening to right now? Yeah, you gave, first of all, you said that final paper. I mean, I'm like, you mean your dissertation? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a paper is a paper. And <laughs> a book. So I'm like, is she talking about her dissertation? But yes, um, with me, um, it's been funny because I've been trying to diversify who I've been listening to because I've realized a pattern as like, um, as a PhD, right? And as like uh, a scientist, I realized I was doing a lot of the listening to like my methods and the ways in which I've inhaled information ha has been from folks from like the academy or who have a certain level of like accolades, you know? And I was like, this is like not even aligned with what you, who you are in the world. Like you need to hear from a variety for me black, you know, women, right? Like from different areas. So, um, you know, with that, I started to like, look, like challenge my beliefs about like, how come you're only looking, reading like Kimberly Crenshaw? Like, how come you're only reading Dr. So-and-so, right? Like, how do you couple that? Um, because what I've noticed is that, <clears throat> and I say this all the time, the stuff that I say right now as a academic, as a person with like these, all these degrees, the same stuff I was saying when I didn't have it, y'all just listen to me now because I have the qualifications. Right. So with that being said, I'm being very intentional. So I am reading, um, there's a book called um, Red Lip um, Theology. It's really good. Um, it's about this black woman um, 
who is just unpacking her black feminism in the black church. I'm mm-hmm. a Christian, you know, I'd be having a love hate relationship with the Christian, with, with Christianity, you know, I'm at best uh, Baptist and I'm changing, you know, one time you say something that, you know, seems homophobic to me, I'm out. One time you see, you know, and then, you know, I was at, you know, this predominantly white church and I was like, they can't bring a person of color because I like the band. So for me, um, going through a healing process with the church, um, this woman, Candace, she's done a great job. Like, I ordered the audiobook and then, you know, you know how you said, no, my eyes got to read this because it's going to hit different with my eyes. So I had to go order the actual book because she was saying some gems and I said, no, no, I need to be able to see this, right? Mm-hmm. I receive it differently. So she's great. Um, and then I'm coupling that with um, The Body Keeps the Score. And I read this book already, like the first time when I didn't have the, the level of like analysis that I can do now, because all of my research is about health and well-being of Black women. So I'm thinking about the ways in which PTSD and trauma is impacting us. So I'm going back to reread it um, because he speaks about complex PTSD and PTSD. And it's interesting reading these two books side by side because what Candace is talking about is her goddamn PTSD as a Black woman in this country. And then what he's talking about is the ways in which this is showing up um, for everyone, right? PTSD outside of being at war. And I hope to use it to start to write a part in one of my papers about the ways in which Black women are being constantly gaslit and our brains are being wired in a certain way, which is then mm-hmm. impacting our health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And lastly, um, I'm listening to this podcast. It's called Self-Care and Chill. It's by a Black woman in Philadelphia. Just She's just a poet. And she's just, you know, I was telling Thais before this, before we started recording, 30 minutes, she's just going off, okay? And I was like, and I just, like, it's just hot. And I'm just like, yes, right? Like, she's a poet. She starts out with her little poetry. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm on my walks. And then she goes into, and it's oftentimes, it's called, she goes about the boyfriend chronicles. It's about Black women and, like, loving yourself. Like, no, why are you raggedy, right? Like, we don't got to be, but except raggediness. But what I love about her is that she's just like, we're going to heal ourselves and we're going to have a beautiful life even though this world is messed up, right? Um, mm-hmm. So those are my three for the week. I'm like you, Thais. I'm like, who am I reading today? Because I, I opened five books at the one time, right? Now I'm like, damn, you gotta finish something. Yeah, but there's a reason for that. I mean, I think I think being able to have multimodal um, um, forms of learning is really important too. And that's why, you know, the the podcasts I think are, are helpful and just reading outside of, you know, academic spaces have helped me. You're gonna have to share that um, podcast with me because I didn't know she was from Philly. Um, so mm-hmm. she's probably not far from me now. Um, you share it with me I'm going to share it with you I'm going to share it with you Um, we're going to wrap this up we'll be back next time it was good just to start you know starts out rough I was just like you know what it's not going to be perfect we're going to do it from the house we're going to do it on Skype we're going to figure it out but we're going to evolve as we go don't worry I'm like okay how do I get it to the next level but I think being a black woman sometimes I'm trying to be perfect and like oh it has to be together I'm like no the goal is to get the information out and to start the conversation and I will evolve. Right. I'm not putting myself on the same space or I'm not trying to perform next to white men. Like, I'm just like, not, nah, I'm, I'm learning how to be more graceful with myself and say, no, 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 no. Like that, you can just do some stuff and it's, and it's going to be good. <laughs> right. Right. And to be able to acknowledge that and be able to say, you know what, I know it's good, you know? And a lot of times we're not sure because we have this, um, I guess rubric or, or this measuring stick that's not even realistic and other people aren't trying to be measured by that same you know superhuman measuring stick that black women are always you know held to so fuck it fuck it we just gonna do it with right. that see you next time thank you yeah